Yo, 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 this is Bernard. And this is Samir. And welcome to another episode of the Angry Blurs podcast. Where the nerds are black and the nerds are angry. All right, so we have a returning guest to the podcast. The illustrious S.D. Semper. All right, let's give her a round of applause. <laughs> Happy to know I'm illustrious. I love it. <laughs> and no problem. Really nice to, oh, sorry, I was just saying it was really nice to be back. Thanks for uh, giving me an invite. Yeah, thanks oh, for coming please, back. Yeah, you're, this is the highlight of my week or a month. It really is because he's been geeked up for I don't know how long, like a week and a half, two weeks. Well, basically since the month started, so about two weeks. Yeah, no lie. Okay. Two weeks ago is when the last book came out. So, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, what was that, like a year ago now? Uh, no, it's, well, unless it feels like a year, it's two weeks. Well, not, not a full calendar year, but it was sometime last year, I believe. Oh, do you mean the fourth book? Wait, between the fourth and fifth book is, I think, what he's in. Oh, playing. yeah, fourth book was like 2020, so it was a long time. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know you were on your six. Yeah, I didn't know you were on your sixth book. I thought this was the fifth. Oh, no, this is five. Yeah, oh, okay. but she writes other stuff too. So oh, okay. There was stuff, there was stuff in between. No, I was the, saying, the, the fourth I was saying book. book four came out in 2020. That's what I thought you were talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I get confused sometimes. So, okay. um, <laughs> how have you been? I mean, um, last time we spoke to you, you were getting ready to go on hiatus. And um, how did that go? I mean, I probably failed spectacularly because <laughs> I don't know how to chill, but. <laughs> Uh, I mean, obviously the book ended up coming out, which is the real goal of going on hiatus, ironically, uh, is resting so that I can actually like have the creative brain space. So I guess in the end, it was fine. <laughs> okay, good to hear it. Okay, so um, let's give a, well, seeing as we're promoting your latest title, why not give us the elevated pitch of the Fallen God series? Oh, the Fallen God series. Hmm. Up until the point that we are now, I guess. Uh, I was going to say NBC's Hannibal meets Lord of the Rings meets war crime lesbians. Okay. That's a great uh, synopsis right there. Uh, I love all those uh, correlations there. Yeah. I can definitely see that. So um, this one in particular, oh my God, uh, to to not give it much away, it, it really did a number on me. Um, I know I've been saying that since I finished it, but it it did. This book was, I, I, so I went from the title right into the chapter one. I, so you don't have to forgive me. I didn't read any of the four stuff, any of the, the credits before the book. I kind of just jumped right into it. Um, was there a content warning on this title? Yes, there was. I was going to okay. say books have content warnings because I, I mean, this maybe, one did, apparently. I, I was going to say maybe, you know, my, my palette in novels is kind of immature, but I've never <laughs> noticed a content warning on a book before. It's like a recent trend and it's actually not something I've done until this book because um, for the most part, I've stuck with like genre norms, genre expectations. And this is a horror book. So like, I'm not going to do a content warning for like violence and gore. Like it's literally the genre. Um, but with Eve of Endless Night, we do dive into some things that are not necessarily standard horror tropes and I thought like a couple of my beta readers, like they weren't upset at me, but they were like, hey, maybe you should let people brace themselves for some of the stuff that's gonna come. So um, I do have like a note at the beginning of the book that says, hey, you can check out my website for content warnings. 
and I have a little downloadable sheet that'll like list out like the two couple of new ones and then one of them I'll say about where it is so but yeah first time I've actually done that this is funny because now that I think about it book four had a tiny bit of recollection about uh some you didn't put a content warning on that it's like there was some backstory that would have so would have thrown people off too actually no that's fair um I think my thought process behind that one was I mean for better or worse that sort of material had already been discussed in the previous book and even though it was something that was discussed it wasn't something that was depicted on screen that is true so that was that was just my approach to it um I've also kind of softened toward the idea of content warnings between now and two years ago um I will be honest, I was kind of like iffy on them when I was a new writer, um, but Any particular I think reason utilized why? properly that they really can be helpful and honestly considerate of some readers. So that's actually the other thing is I've gone on a journey and evolved as a person. I mean, like we're all growing do. every day. Yeah. Okay, so you did. So obviously you just, you just mentioned it, that you are a horror writer. Now, if I were to... Uh, if I were to try to summarize your your tone, you don't seem to go for a suspense or or overall uh, jump scares if that even can be achieved in a novel because I've never seen it. But your shock and awe is on another level, dear God. Um, what are some of the uh, what are, what do you draw inspiration from with your um, with your horror uh, content? Okay, so. That's like, it's a broad question just because there's so many different genres of horror and they actually do all need to be approached differently. Um, I have a lot of big feelings about horror writing and horror storytelling and all those techniques. And part of it was because I had to kind of look into new techniques for writing this specific book because throwing gore onto the screen is not enough to be scary. Like you might be shocking, but you're not gonna like actually leave your audience truly unsettled. Um, and, and some people will disagree because some people are more sensitive and like just the image of a couple, like images of violence can affect some people, but I know like it, it's still, there's a lot of technique into like setting a scene and building up a mood and then building up to bigger and bigger things. Like you have to kind of, sometimes you have to ease your reader into the horror so that it doesn't come across as ridiculous, I guess. But um, so for Eve of Endless Night specifically, because there was such a specific impact that I was trying to make, I really had to like step back and kind of humble myself and admit that the rough drafts were garbage um, because I wrote the rough draft to this book before the Sting of Victory came out and that was 2018. Like not the entire rough draft of the book, I rewrote literally all of it. But there's a particular sequence the pretty much the entire latter third of the book like you know what I'm talking about that uh -huh. is pretty infamous among my readers now and I've gotten a lot of um, affectionately angry letters but mm. I knew I was like okay you can't just throw gore onto the screen you have to set it up right and what I actually did without like diving into spoiler territory I kind of found my research on accident because like I have done a lot of like the technical research, I read a lot about war crimes and I read a lot about the psychological effects of torture. And that's, that's all great, I guess. Um, 
I'm pretty sure my assigned FBI agent knows I'm not a serial killer just because of all the other garbage I look up. But sometimes you wonder. You know, anyway, that's funny. He doesn't believe that we all have assigned FBI agents. So whenever he says something off the rails, <laughs> I automatically say, you know, FBI agent 48215, that was not me. That was Samir. Just that's all on him. Go, go get him. Not me. I didn't do nothing. Be held against me in a court of law. Please. Exactly. That part. But anyway, so as far as the research went, I kind of stumbled into the correct path on accident. Um, my one of many deep, dark secrets is that I actually am a very active um, Redditor. Like I don't post a lot, but I am on Reddit a lot. And I, you know, I read a lot of threads and I had like this flash of inspiration while I was on some Ask Reddit thread about serial killers or something. And I was reading everybody's reactions to these stories. And it kind of struck me that it wasn't so much the stories themselves that I needed to study, but I needed to read more about how people reacted and how people felt about this, which I hope doesn't sound sociopathic because like obviously I have reactions to reading these stories, but you want to gather lots of evidence. And a lot of the horror in Eva Vendless Night isn't the people directly involved, it's the people in the other room overhearing the bad stuff going on. Um, because one of the cardinal rules is that what is implied is pretty much always scarier than what's on screen. That is so true. studying more on like fear and disgust was more important than even like the horror itself. Um, that said, the other main thing that I did as far as like trying to really leave the audience unsettled was kind of ease into it which if you've read it, you might initially think that that's kind of wild, but I really tried to pull back at first until we kind of culminate into like the ultimate, you know, unleashing of hell in a couple particular scenes um, near the end of the big horror sequence before the final battle. So maybe you understand. Um, I totally do, I, I get it. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> Just big enough to work. I was like, I have to like speak vaguely but I'm like, I also need you to understand. So I think, I think we got this. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's the approach I took. I had to relearn everything I thought I knew. Well, I mean, we're always learning. So yeah, that, you don't want to stagnate because so many authors do that. And you definitely haven't, you've definitely avoided a lot of those trappings, at least in my opinion. Well, so yeah. And you definitely, again, to circle back to how you affected me with this book, I definitely learned a few things about myself and how I view your characters in this book. So I'm still processing it. You're, you're gonna get a very uh, lengthy DM, you know, trying to figure, trying to work my way through this, this supposed trauma I've experienced with your novel. So Excellent. great job. Right. <laughs> it is okay. kind of a trauma inducing book overall, not, not even just the ending. Yeah, totally. Uh, so, um, I mean, all right, so that was a book. And uh, and uh, when was it released? The uh, 30th of June? Yeah, it was June 30th. June 30th. Okay, so yeah. And so far, as far as I can tell, the reviews have been very positive. So, you know, if you guys uh, are, you know, willing to be disturbed to your core, please check it out. Yeah, it's available pretty on much Amazon. Every review, oh, pretty much every review is like, I hated every minute of it. This was an emotionally eviscerating experience. 10 out of 10, five stars. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I would say. 
All right, I would definitely like to pick your brain on a number of other topics, though, specifically um, some of the um, some of the communities that you yourself take part in. So okay. uh, recently, I, I definitely want to t- um, touch base with this with you. Uh, so there's been a huge surge in LGBTQ uh, fiction in the U.S. since 2020, which obviously coincides with the uh, pandemic and how everyone had to stay inside and everyone started reading again. And it's just been a it's just been growing since then. And, you know, to, you know, I'm going to apologize because I'm going to start throwing a bunch of numbers at you, but apparently the sales increased 39% in 2021, which doubles was a double, uh, was doubled from last year. And it's on track to then double again this year. And that I would say that might be doing no smart part to uh, TikTok, which also came out during the pandemic in 2020. So what's your thoughts on that exactly? Like, I know you promote on TikTok, at least uh, um, moderately. Yeah, Samir's I, obsessed with it. Oh, yeah. I used to be super active and then I got depressed and busy, but I need to throw myself back into it because it's probably been about six weeks since I've posted. Um, but anyway, so TikTok is great. And I will say that with no like apology or but about it. Like, okay, yeah, we all know it's data mining to the extreme, but listen. I told him that and he was like, shut up. I didn't say shut up. I said, well, what do you think Mark Zuckerberg (laughs) is doing with Instagram and Facebook? You're already on the- the, the, Oh, you're you're all on the dark web. Exactly. So I get that, but that doesn't mean, because I'm I'm very anti uh, TikTok. (laughs) I'm just like, I don't need to add more of my data to the dark web, so I'm not joining. Oh, listen, I respect that. I do. But it is... (laughs) It is definitely... I mean, I don't even gonna sugarcoat it. I honestly believe it's the most powerful marketing tool of our current era. Um, The reach that you can get is unprecedented because there are so many users, and once you kind well. I say once you get a feel for the algorithm, you can go far, but the algorithm's constantly changing. So you really have to stay, excuse me, stay on top of it. But TikTok readers are very enthusiastic. And so, I mean, it kind of started with like hashtag book talk. Um, and you had a lot of book talkers talking about books and then authors started to get in on it and realize that they could promote their own stuff on this in the same way that book talkers promote stuff. Um, and that doesn't mean that authors only promote their own stuff, at least they shouldn't. Um, I know I get a lot of traction because I'll do like compilation rec videos and I'll talk about other books that I like um, because you don't, you, you, you kind of got to give back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, TikTok's reach is just unprecedented. And then to the age, like, I think it's, there's a rising number of non-Gen Z age people going on TikTok. I think it was something like 30% are millennial age at this point. And so there is a massive audience, even with an older crowd. Um, Not not even just the millennials. I'm afraid, I'm embarrassed to say this. My mom is in her mid-60s and she's on TikTok. She tried to get me to do a dance one year. I said, if you do not get out of my face, lady. Your mom sounds awesome. <laughs> but um, a lot of, I think, the rise in LGBTQ books with TikTok specifically is the age groups that tend to hang out on TikTok. Um, and then like the personalities that end up being on it a lot. I know that. And, and then too, there's there's a rising want for these kinds of books. Like people get a taste for one, they realize that this kind of literature exists and they don't have to like quote unquote settle 
or things they don't care about. And so they're constantly seeking out more. And I think that would also explain like the um, exponential growth of sales. I also know like a little bit before TikTok, like I think the foundation got set about 2018, which is when I published Sing a Victory. Um, not because of me, uh, but I think it was the insane popularity of Gideon the Ninth actually that did a ton to popularize um, LGBTQ speculative fiction specifically because a lot of it before then was mostly contemporary. And I mean, that's still the dominant genre because that's the dominant genre overall. But I would argue that the main thing we've seen risen, uh, sorry, rising is um, speculative fiction, like non-contemporary genres with LGBTQ stories. Have you read that title, by the way? Oh, Gideon the Ninth? Yes. What was your question? Have you read it? Oh, I'm gonna get in trouble. I have not. <laughs> oh no. Okay, so don't be don't be I, I just it. read it. I just read the I even on a fancy version. Like I have the cool, like painted. Oh, um, really? I'm jealous. I, I just, read it on which I ended Kindle. up with on accident. Um, it's on my to-do list, but well, my... you're forgiven. You're writing your own novel and you're also promoting said novel, and then you're raising okay. a dog, and there's a lot of you got a lot going on. Basically, so. moral of what he's trying to say is we all have lives, sometimes things fall in between the cracks. Oh, yes. And we get to I'm it when we get to it. Here. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. But uh yeah, that's that's I think that's the end of my speech on that. Is I actually think Gideon the Night helped to set the foundation for popularizing LGBTQ speculative fiction specifically. And then TikTok really like catapulted off of that. Nice. Oh. Yeah, honestly, I just can't wait to see what's, what comes out this year because I know I got, uh, oof, I got at least several titles down the pipeline. So I'm excited. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely a huge follower of the sapphic book talk crowd so obviously so yeah okay so i'm glad we we're able to promote your book and i definitely want to pick your brain about a couple of those topics that we did touch on um where are we at with time bernard you're good all right great okay so <laughs> uh did you want to um move into the review of uh thor 11th i know you saw it this week and uh, we're dying to review it ourselves yeah sure all right and i actually enjoyed it so which i'm realizing is not the most popular opinion yes he has notes there okay i have notes but also i want to pick your brain about one specifically because i don't um are we gonna are we gonna view are we doing a view right now yeah i guess you brought it up right i know we i know we had to queue it or something all right anyway what what, what is there to queue up i'm gonna do all the queuing and post and whatnot all right well okay so (laughs) I, I, w- I don't know if you're aware of this, but during the promotion of this film in, what was it, like 2020, 2021? Okay, so I know where you're going with this, and that was pretty much all on Tessa Thompson. She jumped the gun. Did she jump the gun? Yes, yeah, she talking okay, about the SDCC so when she said a king needs a queen? Yeah, right. Yeah, the script wasn't even written yet, dude. They were just announcing the movie. She jumped the gun okay. on that one. So she jumped the gun. All right, yes. because I don't know. So... Well, regardless, people were a little upset. So they, so she, uh, Tessa Thompson, uh, stated that King Valkyrie would be looking for love in the next movie. 
And, and everyone got excited about it, right? Because, you know, the representation on that side is kind of lacking in the MCU, right? Mm-hmm. So lo and behold, the movie comes out. Her part isn't that it's good, but it's not as robust as we would have, would have wanted it. Well, and there's of course, T- Tessa also had scheduling conflicts, so she really couldn't be in the movie as much, I guess, as she wanted to be because she's also on Westworld. So, that too. Yeah. so needless to say we didn't get much uh content in that in that um arena so everyone some people are a little disappointed and they're making their voices known so i i, I don't know did you hear about that and what, what's your take on that i did hear about that um and i read those articles and headlines when they first went out and unfortunately i'm so bitter and jaded that i was like sure jan that's that's gonna happen in this movie so i was like eh, it probably won't happen and then it didn't um that said, I mean, Taika Waititi is one of the few directors I trust in this day and age. So I was still hopeful that the movie would be good. And while I would in no way, shape or form tout the movie as like a queer anthem, um, the queer representation that was in it felt very natural and normal, um, which actually was its own kind of refreshing. I would love for them to explore that plot legitimately and maybe a future film, um, which I don't think it's a spoiler to say that they definitely teased a future film. Yeah. Um, which I definitely hope happens. But I, I was not sad with what we got, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, uh, for everyone who knows Taika Waititi as a director, <laughs> Every film he has ever done, he has tried to include some, you know, LGBT plus influence in the script. So, I mean, well, and of course, he just yeah. did, you know, Our Flag Means Death, which is exactly very much. Yeah. Have you started that, Samira? I told you about that like a month ago. I've been meaning to oh, see this. is This is not my, uh, you know, apology to the public. I've not watched it yet. I, it's on my list to watch. OK, get on that expeditiously. But yeah, uh, so, um, he was also uh, he was doing an interview on a podcast I listened to called the Ringerverse, and he said um, that if he does come back and do a fifth one, he will do his best to try to include more representation. Yay! Because Disney is trying to get you know trying to be more open with that, but you know how it is. I mean, because unfortunately, me and Samir live in a red state, and. You know, Disney World is right up the road. Is it Disney World? No, Disney World, because Disneyland is in California. And, you know, how they are. I mean, everybody lost their mind because Buzz Lightyear's friend slash commander was a lesbian. And it was just like one kiss and the internet lost their mind. But like I said, it's, 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 it's a work in progress for Disney. I, Disney is going to follow where the money is. And the uh, money is liberal. And the right money now, is so. currently in, including that kind of representation. Yeah, because they do it a lot on TV. It's just, it's taking longer for film. Yeah. Like we'll get something, a little tidbit here and there, but, and you know, a short film here, you know, there and whatnot. But I'm telling you, as soon as Disney like does a movie with a female protagonist who's a lesbian, the internet's going to lose their mind. Listen, they have an easy in, and it's called Frozen 3, and they give Elsa a girl. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what the fans want. They won't give it, though. Yeah, they, they, 
Yeah, they're not going to do that because because they've already I mean, they'll just do like a whole new property. If anything, I think they missed the opportunity doing it with Brave. That would have been interesting, though. I also understand and respect why they wanted to focus more on the parental relationship. Yeah, Um, I think it was I mean, I don't I think it could go either way. I think we're dealing with a teenage girl who isn't interested in being married off at her age. And, you know, could she be labeled as potentially a lesbian? Sure. Yeah. But um, I also understand and respect the route they took on that one. Yeah, I would have to agree as well. Same here. So I'm doing. I'm going to do a quick rundown of the synopsis. So once again, Thor's trying to find his place in the cosmos for what the second time. Ugh. Yeah, running That's joke. One of my notes. Yeah, yeah, running joke. I, I mean, technically, it's it's, it's the first time. Yeah, because technically this is his first time like going off for self-discovery because first movie, he was like, okay, no, you got to learn how what it means to be humble. Second movie was, you know, trying to save Jane. Third movie was trying to prevent Ragnarok. And then he left that at the end of Endgame. So technically this is his first time trying to, you know, figure out his place in the world. Um, Quick cameo. So we know about everyone's um, children being in the movie, Taika's, Chris's, Natalie's, Christian Bale's. Um, so do you remember the scene where, Cor- well, it's at the beginning of the movie, where Korg is telling the story of Thor making out with a wolf woman on a, on a, on a, on a giant wolf? Yes. Yeah. That's Chris Hemsworth's wife. Excellent. Love that. Yeah. And she also uh, so doubled cool. for Natalie Portman in Thor The Dark World for the kiss scene. Yes, because she had a scheduling conflict. So they're like, okay, we'll just put a brunette wig on. Yeah. Um, I think her name is Elsa something. But anyway. Ella Catsby or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we only get the Guardians for about a good 10 minutes. And Peter Quill tells him, you know, find your place. It was a bait and switch. It necessarily wasn't a bait and switch. Because I didn't expect him to be in the movie that long. Just based off the trailer. I kind of agree that it was a bit of a bait and switch, though because of how they set everything up at the end of Endgame. I was like, oh, Guardians movie. And then they're in it for five minutes. Well, I think COVID also screwed everything up because just like, yeah, just how the same way Doctor Strange was supposed to come out before No Way Home, I do believe Guardians 3 was supposed to come out before Love and Thunder. So we would have gotten Thor in that. Mm, But, you know, pandemic change, timetable shift and everything and whatnot. So, yeah, we got the Guardians for about a good 10 minutes. Uh, we also find out that Jane has cancer. Unlike the comics, they do not tell us what type of cancer she is diagnosed with. I got oh. some other issues with this. So this is one of my biggest notes. I felt they took away some of her agency in this movie by making it a spell that Thor himself put on the hammer. And, you know, she's only holding it because he loaned it to her, you know, as opposed to her just being legitimately worthy like she was in the comic. Like the hammer <laughs> chose her no holes barred that was it Full yeah. stop. it was her hammer I not just oh that's just his i mean i get it but they kind of shot themselves in the foot when they killed his mother because remember well you didn't read original sin samir uh wait i don't even think did you even read jane's running thor i did read it okay <laughs> calm down guy <laughs> well because samir's issue is he he won't read a single character book he, he I usually... do read single character books all the time. It's Nine just out that of ten times of time, if it's woman-led. Look, I just have a thing about strong female characters. And unfortunately, lone wolves tend to be a little boring. I'm sorry. They, lone wolves are boring. 
Okay. Well, anyway, so they killed his mother and throw the dark world so no one could change the enchantment on the hammer. So they had to work a way around that. Because remember, Freya changed it to whoever, um, what is it? Um, whoever she shall be worthy shall possess the power of Thor. Well, I can't remember it, but it was something like that. It literally changed it from he to she. And then the hammer went to Jane. It left the moon. Or she went to the moon. I can't remember. That was like a decade ago. She went to the moon, if I recall. Yeah, yeah. I just know it's either or. Oh, yeah. No, she went to the moon because it was the blue area where the Watcher lived. So only yeah. place with breathable atmosphere. Um, so, yeah, we got we got the. How did you guys feel about the montage sequence uh, of their relationship slowly deteriorating? I feel like it filled in the blank yeah. in an efficient way. It, it really honestly. did. And I like. Um, oh, I didn't actually have a problem with it. I was like, okay, especially because it fit in with the framing device that they'd already set up. Yeah. Um. So, we go to new as new new Asgard, almost Asberg for some reason. I don't know. Um. And Jane is looking over Monia, and in that same instance, we get Matt Damon, Luke Hemsworth, and Sam Neill reprising their roles as the uh, fictional versions of Loki. Odin and Thor with Melissa McCartney popping up as Hella. That was hilarious. That oh, was that hilarious. Was like, I knew she was in the movie. I just didn't know who she was going to play. Her husband was also in the movie, but I do believe his role got cut. I didn't know she was in the movie, so I was just delightfully surprised yeah. that she was playing Hella. <laughs> yeah, and so while everyone is observing the hammer and they get ready to go to the gift shop, um, the person who was actually the tour guide, his name is Daryl. So if you have the Blu-rays of, I believe it may be Ragnarok, I can't remember which one it is. There are two shorts on there called Team Thor Part 1 and Part 2. So this basically explains where Thor was during Civil War. And Daryl is Thor's roommate. Amazing. Yes. So. <laughs> I haven't seen those. Yeah, I think they're actually they actually just put them on Disney Plus. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you can see those myself. Yeah, so you can check those out. And then um we didn't even talk about Christian Bale's whole situation um, at the beginning. He he was good. So this actually came up on Twitter. Um, I'll save it for the end um end of the review. I felt so bad for his character because I can't remember because, like I said, it was like about a decade ago. Samir was Gore. Oh wait, you didn't read Gore? Crap. Well, no, I didn't read it because yeah, because that's when it was Thor, that Odinson. <laughs> All right, so never mind. I can't ask him that. But yeah, I, I vaguely recall his origin being slightly the same. The only difference is in this, he doesn't look like Voldemort. <laughs> and the reason why he doesn't look like Voldemort is because Taika didn't want comparisons to Voldemort. Yeah, that seems to be going around a lot lately, huh? What uh, character changes? No, well, yeah, it's like either your character gets compared to Voldemort, like Stranger Things, or you try to change the character so it doesn't get you know compared who, to Voldemort. Who compared Beckner to Voldemort? A lot of people did. I didn't see that. I I got Freddy Krueger vibes from pretty much everyone. I think part of the issue is Voldemort is a very iconic Grim Reaper s character. Yeah, who knows? anybody who tries to epitomize that aesthetic is just going to run into that problem. Yeah, Which, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, just go with it, because 
when I was telling people that they were like, yeah, that would have been stupid. I'm like, yeah, but that's how he looks. Do you read comics? No, you do not. Why am I even talking to you? And I just walk away from people. I'm going to say this visual was in effect before Voldemort was. No, Voldemort no. was. No, because. um come out after the movies? Yeah, because Gore okay. uh, was. Yeah, Gore first appeared sometime like about a decade ago. Yeah. Gotcha. Never mind then. Yeah. I haven't read Gore comics, unfortunately. They are good. Jason's run, Aaron. Uh, Jason Aaron's run is okay. very good. I highly recommend it. So yeah, uh, the Necro Sword calls out to him after his daughter dies in the desert, and um, in the Oasis, he sees his God, who he worshipped his entire life, his entire you know race worshipped him, and he was just basically like, "That's what you're here for. I'm not here to help you." And so he kills him with the Necro Sword, and just basically breaks bad after he gets infected and starts to turn pasty white. Okay, so. I have a question with uh, going to feel this to the two of you. Uh, how did you guys feel about the tone of this movie? It was funny, but did it overstay its welcome? Um, massively tonally dissonant, unfortunately. Yeah, it it felt tonally dissonant, and I felt like it was trying to be too many genres at once. It was a ro- romantic movie, a comedy, suspense, horror, a little bit of action. It just felt like it was just trying to be too much. And one of the things that I'm hearing, like. Taika just basically tried to copy and paste Ragnarok, but throw, just sprinkle a little bit of love in there. Well, he copy and pasted like the tone of Ragnarok, but then he included these incredibly serious thematic elements like Jane has cancer, Gore's daughter dies in the first two minutes of the movie. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, the reason I'm torn is because on the flip side, this movie managed to tap into my exact precise sense of humor which is playing Enya at inappropriate moments (laughs) so if on the flip side if they just kept it to some of the montage moments it probably would have been fine Um, I was reading reading or watching some dissertation on it discussing why the gore scenes were so much more impactful than a lot of the rest of the movie Um, there's a specific scene I'll be vague but um, our trio of heroes end up being like tied up and they can't talk because yes, they're in the shadow they realm and i've read a couple people say that um that's one of the most powerful scenes of the movie in part because nobody can say a joke at an inopportune moment and ruin the tone gore is completely in control of that scene yes as a result it really just stands almost at odds with the rest of the movie because there are no jokes in that scene yes that was Which actually one of my like favorite a- scenes yeah, it was so good. And like that kind of tactic where all of a sudden there's the absence of jokes in an otherwise, you know, humorous setting can be really powerful if utilized correctly. Mm-hmm. But it, I don't know if it quite worked. Like, again, I actually liked the movie. I really enjoyed it. I left the theater feeling happy, but no, there were flaws. And that was one of them. So I, I went with my, my friend, his wife and um, my god kids. And we basically carpooled. So when when I got back in my car, I literally turned into Adam Scott and his family and stepbrothers and drove off listening to Guns N' Roses' Sweet Child of Mine. Excellent. I say if that movie didn't leave you wanting to sing that song at the end of it, in the car ride on the way home, it failed. Oh, you're so pumped by the end. Like, that's the thing is it does leave you feeling good. Because like my kind of unpopular opinion, I guess, maybe unpopular, I don't know. I see the internet really split on this is I liked 
well enough multiverse of madness but i didn't leave the theater feeling good you know versus thor 4 has its flaws but i left the theater feeling good i don't know yeah. if it's supposedly the, the theater um feeling good at their multiverse of madness yeah because everyone feels no. everyone feels sorry for wanda so it's just like like oh that's one of the things that sam raimi is good at he he leaves he you do a good job with yeah that. he leaves you always feeling either sorry for your protagonist or your antagonist it's always going to be either or it's true it's like i don't know how many times well, i felt bad for peter parker and spider-man i don't know though because in thor 4 i don't i i, I understood both sides though i actually think they balanced it pretty well because yeah. from the beginning i don't think it's a spoiler to talk about the first five minutes you guys already did actually i mean it's like, been a, it's I been felt, a week so screw spoilers this is spoiler field if fair if they, okay yeah spoiler field yeah the embargo has job. been lifted i do such a good job at setting gore up as a sympathetic villain yeah um and his conclusion to his arc actually felt really satisfying as a result, at least in my opinion. Um, but at the same time, we're inclined to love and cherish our heroes. And what he's doing is legitimately questionable. On the flip side, maybe he's right. Maybe these gods are useless. But his methods make the you still want the heroes to win, like him kidnapping the kids and stuff. So Right. Yeah, like a lot of people have seen, have been saying, Phase four is primarily trying to get you to feel sympathy for the villain, starting with uh, Cap. Uh, I'm gonna say Captain Falcon, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, with with um, the character Carly. How her family was, you know, murdered, and you know she's just basically trying to be a freedom fighter, but she's taking it a bit too far. Mm-hmm. And of course, Wanda with Wanda Vision and whatnot. What if? And, and I think they followed it up with uh, Hawkeye. Because you were definitely sorry for Echo in that one. Yep. Well, and they had the whole Loki TV show. Oh, yeah. there you go. All yeah. about the villain there. Yeah. The other thing they did in Thor 4 that made me laugh but feel sad was um, the Loki death montage. Oh, yeah. Again. And again. Oh. And again. <laughs> so, yeah, sympathy for the villains is definitely high in this uh, phase. Also... Talking about Thor's trauma in that goofy Korg voice was also another example of tonal dissonance. So, yeah. I get it. But, you know. I didn't mind that in specific moments. See, that didn't feel inappropriate. Like, it was when they deliberate, not deliberately, but when it felt like they were deliberately undercutting the emotional resonance of specific scenes. But the, the framing device of telling the story that specifically never felt off to me maybe i'd have to rewatch it to with that in mind but that didn't bother me so much i felt like it was appropriate humor for the narrative yeah same here like jane wanted to leave her chemo appointment early and was just messing with the bag that felt very human and relatable yes because i've watched um samir the show i keep telling you to watch a million little things uh james rodriguez you find out in the first season that he is actually a um survivor of breast cancer they they show a lot of flashbacks with him fidgety and wanting to you know leave and just be like screw chemo and he actually meets his girlfriend at a uh cancer survivor group and then she relapses and, and you see it all over again from another perspective so yeah i can definitely understand that you know as someone who's seen it before. 
I think it's just human nature to cope with tragedy through often dark humor. Yeah. Uh, which is why humor can really work in the serious narratives. I think it's when this movie delves more into like slapstick kind of humor. Like mm-hmm. the goats, for instance. Like the go- I'm so torn on the stupid goats. Well, the goats are blame I, Taylor I Swift. They were so stupidly funny, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe it was funny the first time. I but laughed every time they shrieked. Yeah, it was funny. By the 11th time, I'm like, but do they have to shriek now? Right. But I, I know a lot of people were not a fan of the goats. I thought the goats were funny. Or the hammer love triangle. That was so silly. I can't say I disliked it. That though. was silly because you got to admit, no, funny. I mean, we we know for a fact that Mjolnir is sentient. I did not expect Stormbreaker to be sentient just like, come out of nowhere like what are you doing guy are you are you are you trying to call your hammer back because this is not working i'm 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 floating right here my main issue with like the humor dissonance is actually when it paints thor to look stupid oh god thor is not an unintelligent character he isn't any means but a lot of the jokes made him the butt of them and that's when it bothered me yeah Yeah. They, they really undid all his character development because his consideration for other people when he employed his abilities, like blowing the hole through the roof or or destroying the temple, like he he had more finesse. Well, by well the, him by blowing him. the hole through through the roof, I think that's still him just trying to come to the realization that hey, my ex girlfriend has my hammer, I need to get out of here. I don't know. He seemed more self aware by the time he went through the whole thing with this. With the first time he lost the hammer, losing his dad, finding out he had a sister, losing his brother twice. I think he has more development to handle that situation. Yeah, but you also got to keep in mind, this is something that he cherished very deeply and all of a sudden is back in his face with someone who he obviously did not have any type of closure with because she literally wrote him a Dear John letter. No, and that's fine. I could, I think the, the the baggage is cool to have there, just the love triangle and how, and how silly he was. I don't know. And also his... His insecurities, I don't know if they were they need to be there on front and center so blatantly on his sleeve. They could have been more nuanced about it. Well, something that bothered me was I really felt, I, I guess it ended up feeling rushed was the result, but I didn't feel like Jane and Thor had an intelligent interaction up until the scene where they up kissed. Until- like there's, it looks like they're trying to ad lib lines levels of like really awkward dialogue yeah and i do i think they might have taken that too far because by the time they actually have their serious conversation and like she's like i have cancer and then they kiss all that stuff it felt kind of out of nowhere because they hadn't had anything to properly set that up like that was another instance of like the attempts at humor i think undercutting the emotional arc of the story because if they had allowed jane and thor any kind of foundation before that i think it would have hit better and it made them both look kind of dumb and i do agree that the lack of closure like that is going to make people interact uncomfortably that's just a fact um so just from purely a storytelling landscape that's just my thought process on that was there was no foundation set up for them to actually like confess their continuing feelings for each other because all their interactions had been so uncomfortable to witness well, you are the expert, so I will definitely have to defer to you. 
I mean, my expertise is based by and large in opinion because that's what creative endeavors do. So don't worry. Your opinion and my opinion are realistically on par. So omnipotent city, Russell Crowe Zeus. How do we feel about that? Oh my gosh. So <laughs> it's really funny because Russell Crowe walks out and my immediate first reaction literally was, did they ask him to gain weight for this role and why? No, he's been like, like that for a few years now. Has he? Okay. Yeah, pretty I much after Man of Steel, he started to gain a little weight. Oh, now I feel bad. Okay. <laughs> They ask actors to like gain or lose weight depending on the role. Like, look at Christian Bale. Yeah, like, Christian Bale has done in multiple times the mechanist, uh, Vice, American Hustle. But uh, no, Russell Crowe. He's he's pushing. What is he pushing? Sixty almost. Don't blame yeah. that. Don't blame his weight. It's Don't blame his it age. Down. It's hard to keep it down when you get older. I'm sorry. It's just it, that it's biology. Don't feel bad when he's 58. So I'm just saying no, it's okay just... to let it go. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if they were trying to like do something with the character. I thought that. he was wearing a fat suit. Yeah, I really thought case, he was wearing a fat um, suit. I think he did make a really good impact on the role. Um, and I think that uh, he cracked me up. I do kind of wonder why Gore didn't go to the city of the He God couldn't find it. And, uh, that's yeah, fair. Yeah, they actually said that. They said we're they safe here. That. He can't find it. Okay, that's my bad then. Yeah. Um, I thought it was humorously done. Yeah, my my well, it wasn't my issue, it was my friend's issue because he's a parent. He said, like, why did they feel the need to say orgy like eight times in one minute, pretty much? He could right. like they could have just said party. Inherently a bad word. Yeah, but you gotta remember people have little kids and they go to see these movies the last thing you want to do is walk out or like I recall the movie being pg-13 is it not yes i remember orgy being in my vocabulary at 13 just saying i don't want to even know what you were looking up <laughs> i was a big reader of Anne rice and that just right there that just tells you all you need to know about my adolescence yes but yeah i mean everyone doesn't read Anne rice at you know eight i wasn't eight i was like 12 or 13 when I that started. doesn't count i'm talking about kids who aren't even in the double digits right but you the, the pg-13 parental guidance 13 that i know is your that. fault if you bring a kid there i'm sorry so yeah when when i was actually um i went to the bathroom a little bit after that scene and some guy was behind me with his kid i guess he was taking to get popcorn he literally said daddy what's an orgy well that's his fault <laughs> i was like oof I'm like yeah um that's your problem I was going to say, I really, really enjoyed the fight scene in that sequence. Um, I think they do a good job utilizing all the major characters to their best effects. Yes. Um, I think Valkyrie is really, I mean, Tessa Thompson apparently had scheduling conflicts, but I do think that they utilized her too. Yeah. I think they did really, really good with her stuff. I could always use more Tessa Thompson. But you don't watch Westworld. I'm catching up. I'm watching it. Okay. I thought you didn't watch it at all. No, I started watching it with the wife, so I'm, I'm trying to catch up. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if you heard, but Samir got married last month. Oh, congratulations. Thank That's you awesome. so much. Yes. Being married is great. It is. It, it's, it's one of my dreams. It's just cute, you know. And when I say comfortable, I mean that in, like, the most positive spin you can take it. You know what I mean? It's just, no. you just feel good. I agree. 
So um, where are we now? Oh, backstory on the goats with the with the yelling. That was actually inspired by someone turning a um, the Taylor Swift song um, "I Knew You Were Trouble" into a meme of a goat screaming. Like, yeah, from like 2012. That was, that's ancient. Okay, well, so it wasn't originally supposed to be that. He was in the studio um, doing, you know, post-production and everything, VFX, and some guy just randomly um, pulled it up. I guess he might have been on Reddit or something. I don't know. He might have just been like down the deep barrel of YouTube and Taika said, yeah, let's do that. So that's why they scream. <laughs> So I, I figured the initial idea behind the goats was like actual Norse mythology where Thor has a uh, well, no, to, by yeah, goats. yeah the, the goats are actually from the Norse mythology, but the screaming is inspired good. exactly. That meme is so old, though. Yeah, I actually <laughs> just posted it on our Instagram just as a, you know, a um, little tidbit for the film. Oh, god, and it got, I mean. The first three times, okay, it's, it, it, it overstayed its welcome. I'm sorry. Man, leave screaming goats alone. Goats are going to go. Visually, they were cute. It's just, it's, oh, God. They just. It was fun until it wasn't. All right, so are we going on to the climax, or are we still got something else to talk about? Because I, I have some notes about the climax. Okay, yeah. I mean, I guess we can get into it. Um I couldn't get over how grossly irresponsible a couple of the decisions in the climax were, but <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> with the kids, yeah, it's like okay. Here's the it problem was, I have with it that. was funny, but okay, it was cute, it was funny, but the, again, it, first off, you punch a huge plot hole in the entirety of MCU. Did like he always have this ability? He, or did he, he can just it? give people Thor powers? He could have did that. <laughs> yes, get it. Okay, but maybe he didn't realize it until. I'm pretty sure there's a deleted scene somewhere out there where, you know, he kind of remembers putting the enchantment on the hammer. So then that gives him all, you know, the thought that, you know, that he can do this. I would 100% accept that. Because but you got to remember, he really is the important. all father now. So he does have the powers that his father had. Which, you know, he can, you know, enchant, you know, instruments and weapons and things of that nature. It's one of those things that could have been solved with just like a throwaway line and I would have accepted it. But by that deep into the movie, I was just like, okay, nothing matters and nothing makes sense. And we're just here to have a good time. That's essentially what you end up with. And I don't know if I want that particular perspective on this movie, but oh, then no. again, I'm a bit of a stickler. A little bit of a stickler? I just, I just don't, I'm just saying, <laughs> it's just, it, it was just so, the movie was all over the place tonally. And, uh, I know we said that a million times in this review, but it, it, it really is the, the crux of this problem with this movie. All right. And um, so, yeah, all the kids, you know, go to war with the shadow monsters. My, my, yeah, my, my, uh, this, this, this goes back to the 90s as why this is my grief with this movie. So the Necro Sword is actually supposed to be a conduit for symbiotes. But since Sony has the rights to Spider-Man and everything Spider-Man adjacent, you get these weird shadow monsters instead of symbiotes. And then also, they kind of more or less butchered the Necro Sword because it's supposed to be a whole lot more. So you remember how Thor, I mean, not Thor, uh, Hela was able to channel her weapons in Thor Ragnarok? Yeah. 
that's how Gore is supposed to be able to be able to channel his weapons. The Necro Sword is literally a symbiote self-imposed into the form of a sword. So he should be able to channel as many weapons as he wants from it. That's a bit that that nerf. Um, there's no way to put that on camera. That's very hard to. They kind of did it with Hella. Yeah, but she, there was a reason why she was that strong. They didn't even beat her in that movie. They kind of needed him to get a win. This I know time. that, but I'm just saying. Yeah. Like I can understand for the purposes of the plot why they nerfed it a little bit. Yeah, like, I, I'm I'm willing to give him a pass on that personally. Yeah, I'm giving him a pass because everybody would have been like, "Bro, this is just Ragnarok all over again." Yeah. But it was just like when they announced Love and Thunder, I'm like, how is this going to work now? Because when they said Christian Bell was Gore, I'm like, yeah, you can't do that. Now we got to tweak them somehow. And honestly, I'm kind of sick and tired of Marvel tweaking characters. But yeah, it is what it is, unfortunately. So it's, it's working kind of for now. So yeah, uh, during that whole fight, we find out that, you know, uh, Gore needs Stormbreaker to get to eternity. And and I mean I don't I don't know why that's a thing. All of a sudden it's like well it's a byproduct. Well yeah, why, yeah, it's but a yeah, the point of the, yeah, exactly. I'm just like because I'm starting to scratch my head and thinking about you know the fifth movie in the MCU out of 29. It's like could anybody have just like kidnapped Heimdall, took control of the Bifrost, Bifrost, and went to eternity this whole time? Like Thon- like Thanos, maybe. Exactly. One wish. Exactly. It's like screw the Infinity Stones. Literally I'm going to. Infinity War. Yeah. Now I've I, I brought up that exact thing when I was in the theater. I watched it with my cousins and my wife, and I was like, "Why did that just do this?" And they're like, "Well, maybe you didn't know about it." I'm like, "I can accept that to a degree, but if he knows all about the Infinity Stones, he's clearly done his research." Yeah, but he probably doesn't know anything about the um the um. The Norse he, knew the time, he knew the space stone was in the was was in the, the treasury of Asgard. He would have got there eventually, even if Loki hadn't taken this um the Tesseract. Would he? Yeah, he would have. Because I don't recall them ever saying that he went to Asgard to even try to look for it. He because he didn't get it. It was on his time itinerary. It was the, it was static. It was it wasn't going anywhere. That's why he probably left it there. Mm-hmm. That is a possibility. And again, fine within the confines of the plot. Thanos didn't know about it, whatever. But yeah. it's still one of those like ultra powerful magic concepts that can kind of throw a plot. Like something that w- when you're writing like extensive universes, is you have to be really careful about the distribution of power and what kind of concepts you um, introduce into the world. Because if you throw in some magic device, like like using, say, Harry Potter as an example, because that's pretty universally known, um, like the time turner, you introduce things like the time turner as a concept. And well, why didn't they just use the time turner to defeat Voldemort? Like, oh, because there's like you can only use it for tiny purposes. Like, no, no, no. and there's more than one of these things in the world. Why didn't Voldemort go after this? You know, you introduce this technology and then you don't use it to its full purposes and you know i never thought of that for the uh i never thought of that that's all everyone ever talks about with this series it's super time it's because it it broke everything but my point is just when you're dealing with a universe as big as the marvel cinematic universe like they're going to end up being holes like that just by nature of every movie having to have their big shiny 
monster battle at the end or whatever. Yeah. And I do think that uh, this movie falls into that trap a little bit because it's like, oh, you can it's it's a race to get there first. And whoever gets there literally gets a wish for anything in the world. And it makes you wonder why other people haven't gone after it. And to Blake, uh, to just kind of throw it off and say, well, maybe they didn't know about it bothers me a little at the same time i can turn off my common sense and just say fine yeah but that's the thing <laughs> with me i can't I, I can't turn off my comic book brain yeah i can i just don't want to do it for this movie i shouldn't have to for this movie that's yeah. my stance and, and and here's the other thing that everyone said why didn't he just automatically wish for his daughter back it didn't have it didn't take thor and jane to convince him well, I can accept the. I can accept, the, I, I, I can accept that as well because he's yeah, literally going through the, the five stages. Well, and I he's was in worried, anger. Well, if we're talking about the ending, I'm sure we all had the same fear of what we were worried was about, about to happen. What, this was and the last Thor movie? Oh, no, no, no. I was worried of a couple of things, which is one, Gore would have given up his wish and let Thor go make a wish, or that Gore would have wished for Jane to live because he was so moved by their love, I guess. And I would have hated that ending so much. That would have been bad, yes. (laughs) That would have been horrible. And I was like fully expecting that because that's like a tropey thing to do. But you know what? Look at me discounting Taika Waititi. I was a fool. Um, And so I thought, especially too, because let's say Thor got the wish and made that wish because that was another possibility. Yeah. Oh, selfish. How selfish would that have been? Like, okay, let's save the life of one singular person who had made their peace with death instead of world peace or whatever generic greater good thing. Because Thor is a superhero. On the flip side, having a character like Gore make what is technically a selfish wish where he wishes for his daughter back, that was great. And that made perfect sense. And I thought it was an appropriate um, culmination of his arc. And I thought, I, I thought that worked great. And I was really pleasantly surprised that they went that route and actually let her die in a deeply satisfying way. Yeah, I'm mad they killed her. And I think a lot of people are mad they killed her because they- I'm not mad, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. I'm like, I didn't want her to die. Let me let me just say that. And make I don't that think clear. anybody I think, oh, like, oh, I want her to die. But I- thought her death was incredibly satisfying yeah and really stayed true to who she was as a character like because she went back to help thor knowing full well she was going to die to do this yeah and then she did die to do this and it felt very it felt very heroic and it, it felt like what she would do too yeah and also uh, as far as the mcu is concerned her character has run its course there's no, I mean, she's cool in the comic. They can keep using her as long as they need to. But I think it, laying her to rest was a good choice uh, from a production standpoint. Well, I, I think Natalie, Natalie was pretty much done after the Dark World. So that's why she wasn't even in Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Like Taika had to basically beg her to come and do this one. And then, you well, know, I'm sure it wasn't the hardest sell because he's like, no, but listen, we're going to do the Mighty Thor arc. And yeah. Four and you get to be awesome and, and you got to work a year in the gym yeah, and get okay. ripped bro she didn't yeah. get ripped stop it her arms were cg'd they weren't that cg'd she did work out stop taking her credit away okay it was it was both i'm telling him that but work. but okay but my definition of ripped I, I guess is different from his you know i'm expecting you know 
bulking, you know, biceps and triceps, veins popping out and everything. And like when the first trailer dropped, I even told him, bro, she's not that big. And he's sending me obviously Photoshop pictures of her. You probably saw the photo. It's like her in like a pink peach colored shirt with like the shortcut hair. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about, sir. All right. Why do you always lie on this podcast? My I don't, friend? What do you mean? Why are you trying to slander me? That's so mean. You're toxic right now. <laughs> and I even sent him a photo. It's like, oh, look at the dots. You know why are there dots on her arms? Because they're going to CG it. He's like, her arms are still lean, though. I'm like, there's a difference between lean and big, Samir. Look, she is still, in my opinion, ripped. She has nice muscle definition. Okay. I don't don't downplay her hard work. That's I'm saying. not downplaying her hard work. Okay, so are we ready to give it a grade, or is there anything else? Oh well, we didn't we didn't talk about Thor being a daddy now. Oh God, you're right. Yeah. So how how do we feel about that? I thought it was cute. I thought it was an appropriate. Like it would have felt bad if he had just like moved on and found some other girl. But I I don't know if it was 100% set up, but I wasn't mad about it. I think that him discovering and understanding different definitions of love for lack of a better word was good because that was a theme throughout this movie and um, I actually really appreciate movies that and other media that explores the idea that true love doesn't just have to be romantic yeah so that that's my two cents I don't know if it was perfectly set up like I said but it did satisfy me as a viewer same here but how do we feel about Chris Hemsworth's daughter, actual daughter being in the MCU now? Oh, do we think she's going okay. to so the Young I Avengers roster? Because she wasn't the most talented, dramatic actress. I kind of just like waved it away for being child actors. Because like Christian Bale is just acting his heart out. I honestly think Christian Bale is one of the best actors working today. That is yeah. my that is my opinion. Yeah. And I so like at the that. beginning where she has her dramatic death scene like he is slaying it and this girl's just like she's acting you know she's a kid but then at the end when she's interacting with Chris Hemsworth who's her dad you really see that charm start to come out and so I found out after I didn't know at the time that that was actually his kid my cousin told me after and then I was like oh it makes perfect sense now okay because she really did just shine when she was acting with Chris yeah and now they they go around uh, protecting the cosmos as love and thunder. So cute. It is adorable. Uh, I definitely have a soft spot for um, fictional parents. It's funny because I'm I'm child free and I'm never going to have kids. Samir God. is literally that guy who says "fuck them kids." I don't say that. It's just they don't seem very appealing from the inside of the relationship. Outside, I'm I'll be the fun uncle. I just don't want to be the parent. Anyways, I digress. I have a high respect. For, I have a lot of respect for for parental characters in fiction because it's just it's just nice to see someone the, the dedication and the and the support you get from a uh, from a family unit of any kind. I completely yeah. agree. Yeah, which is why I enjoy your book so much because you do okay. see that fa- family dynamic in a lot of places, even if it was you know not fun this time around. I always joke that book five. You know, there's the found family trope. Um, I jokingly refer to this book having the unfound family trope, which is everybody starts hating each other and then they hate each other by the end. Yeah, wow. Even family units. Because obviously book five features the worst family reunions ever. Several of them even. Yeah. Also, can we talk about another bait and switch? (laughs) 
your sure. the synopsis of your book. I got a bone to pick with you, man. Oh. Okay, so I'm thinking I want to be in the the elves. We're going to talk about the the, the you know the politics <laughs> and how how she's going to have to grow into her role as an ambassador or something. I don't know. But all that, of a sudden, that lasted, that lasted like two chapters. Oh my god! Here's the thing. No, it's actually like the entire first third of the book. Like, and this uh. No, this was kind of deliberate. Not kind of, this was entirely deliberate in the sense that like, okay, what would happen next? Flirty and Ayla are literally getting set up for this entirely different adventure. And then something happens to completely derail that. What happens next? And I don't feel bad about that. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I absolutely hated the inciting event. I did. It wasn't planned initially when I conceived of the story. It, it was one of those otherwise. things, I was writing there. the rough draft and I saw what had been set up and I said, oh no, this is how this is going to end and let it happen, which is actually um, something that happens a lot when I write all of my best um, deaths are unplanned. Well, I think it, honestly, I don't know, based on how the book went, I don't think you not doing that would have worked because it, oh, it, yeah. it needed to happen. And that also, um, it dictated a lot of how the rest of the story went. Like, obviously, um, some of the adventuring segments would have gone very differently if other things hadn't happened. Uh, yeah. But no, in the original, like, early, early conception, before I'd really written anything, that event didn't happen. Which everybody hates hearing, and I, I don't blame them. I always tell everybody, um, and I've, I've never revealed who it is, although everybody who's read the book knows, I always say that I end up killing my favorite characters. And uh, yeah, I do recall you saying that last this, time you were here. This is that, this is that book. Oh, <laughs> they were? Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Yeah, my, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I almost spoiled it. That therapy yeah. appointment is coming, just so you know. Oh, I, trust me, let me know when I can therapize therapies i don't know my characters anytime it's it's a dangerous game though <laughs> just wait till book six comes out oh uh, i i need to i need to palate cleanse a little more before i dive back into oh your world. please read something light and happy you have <laughs> i done. did and it's it was it was good it was it was a silly silly romance and i, I and it did it definitely helped perfect I'm about 150, okay. And I've said this to people before. So anybody who hears this is gonna go, wait, have you made any progress? And the answer is yes, and I'll explain. But I'm about 150,000 words into book six, um, which is the last, um, that's the end of Flirty's story. Everything comes to culmination, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I've been at about that word count for a really long time because this happens every time I write is I hit like a wall before the final act or the finale. Like I always hit a wall and it's because I need to go back and actually edit so that all the pieces are set up so that I write the finale correctly. This happens pretty much every book I've ever written. Um, especially when I'm kind of not winging it. Cause that's not true. I'm definitely not winging this book, but like with the fate of stars that happened, I seriously sat on the ending for like five, six months and then I came to the realization of like, oh, 
the reason we haven't finished it is because it's not the last book. And so I set up the ending differently than I'd anticipated and left it open to, you know, a second and oh, third book. You are a very aggressive critic for yourself. Cause I mean, there's I some authors so out aggressive. there. There's I some authors actually, out there who will remain nameless who've been sitting on their ending for like 10 plus years. I knew so, you were going to uh, go there. I wasn't going to go anywhere. All right. I'm just saying. You can call him out. You can say it. You can say it. I just, I don't know. Okay. So hang on. Okay. I don't <laughs> want to put you in a spot here. But what's your opinion of George R. R. Martin's ah, shit. inability <laughs> to finish his book? Because I've heard someone make a very compelling argument that it actually damages lesser known authors. Because when readers are like, well, I'll wait till it's finished. And that author needs you to buy that first book so they can write their second book. That as opposed to someone who's already has their, their movie deals and their TV deals, like he can sit on his fifth book and never finish and just hurt the perception of the public in terms of publishing. Like, is, do you see it that way? I don't know. Am I being too well, sensitive? You're not. Let me say first that I agree with everything you just said. Let me add, though, that with the case of George R. R. Martin specifically, like, does he need to do the work? Yes. Yes, he does. However, he said straight up, which and it's something I'd already suspected, that the TV show really psyched him out especially with how much it crashed and burned once they it moved crashed and burned because of him if he would have finished yeah. they would have had something to write on um i agree however i have to put myself in his position and think okay how would i react from going to like popular and famous to being a household name virtually overnight like how would that impact my writing because he was he was quite popular obviously he was very well known among fantasy circles but not everyone knew the name george r r martin not everybody knew about game of to Thrones. be fair though well Dark not fair ways. to be real to be completely honest there's a huge gap in from the 90s when did um a storm of swords came out in the 90s and i, I think, think the first book came out in like 95 yeah he's been writing a series for a long time even before ago. hbo touched him and there have been long gaps in throughout his career. He's not yeah. a very consistent writer. I mean, no, I uh, I don't want to sound like I'm defending it because again, I actually agree, but I also have to be like, I mean, Christopher Paolini took his sweet fucking time on his True. books to the degree that his audience outgrew him by the time his last book came out. And so it didn't meet a lot of like expectations. I know that that was the case for me. Like, I mean, I was what, eight when Aragon became a thing? Like it was... I was pretty young. I may have actually made myself sound younger than I am because I don't remember when it came out precisely, but I was in elementary school. And then by the time the last book comes out and I'm like an adult, my expectations for YA, middle grade, whatever it is, uh, dramatically changed. Yeah, it's hard to stay with it. And so that's actually a risk for taking so long to write, but some people really do just write very slow. Oh, 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 I got I got to stop you for a second. Did you did you say you were in elementary school when Aragon came out? Yes, I was. How old are you? I'm sorry, but I just felt ancient as all get out when she said that. So I had to say something. I'm 28. Oh, my God. Really? Seriously, bro? I'll be 29 next month. If that makes you feel any better at all. It, it does a little bit, but Samir, don't do that because because <laughs> Samir is Samir has this thing, but he he de- he denies getting old. We're both thirty six, and I'm, I'm not. I don't know what he's talking about. I am thirty one winters 
plus five springs or something like that. I'm not 36. He is literally Joey in that episode of Friends when everyone was um when I don't remember whose birthday it was. They they turned Rachel's. 30. Yeah, it was Rachel's birthday, and he and Joey was like, I made a deal with God so we don't get old. That's him. That's amazing. I don't know. I look forward to being 30. I have like this um, 30 is great. 30 was miscon- I have this misconception that like I'm gonna have my life together by the time I'm like maybe 32. So we'll see. Uh in the meantime doing okay yeah because the 20s no one has it together and you think you have it together but then you're just like oh, oh shit no i know i had don't worry i had no i had no misconception that i was like had my life together i was a mess in my early 20s i'm much happier now well i'm glad to hear that um let's talk about these uh mid-credit and post-credit scenes so uh first uh scene we found out that Zeus one, right? actually, yeah. Um, yeah, we found out that Zeus actually survived getting his own lightning bolt to the chest. Which I'm glad he did. And he is basically pissed because he, us mere mortals worship superheroes now instead of gods. And so he is going to send his son, Hercules, played by the ever so talented Brett Goldstein from Ted Lasso to, I don't know, maybe go fuck shit up. How do we feel about that? I'm really intrigued. If they I, fall through with it, great. Yeah. I mean, like I said, Titus, uh, he's pretty sure he's going to come back and do another one. If not, hopefully Kenneth Branagh doesn't come back because he directed the first one and I'm murdered. So sad that that wasn't better. I feel like maybe Kenneth Branagh is so good too. I feel like if there As an actor so much like executive meddling that Thor one would have been better because even looking at the deleted scenes for Thor one, it fills in a bunch of blanks and helps a lot of the characterizations become stronger. And if they had just allowed him 10 more minutes of filming, the movie would have been better. Like it's not a perfect movie. No. Yeah. But I think creative control Tom Hiddleston was really undercut just the movie. So good though. In Thor, Thor oh, one. he's so good all the time. It is. I am so glad he didn't get the role as Thor. Oh, have you seen the like? Yes, yes. I laugh at it every time I see it. Work, and I feel so bad. Like he's just not the right guy. And there's, he could have played the role 110 percent with all of his heart, and it just wouldn't have been good. Even if like Chris Hemsworth had given 10 percent, he's still more believable. Yeah. And so now we get to our post-credit scene. Jane has made it to Valhalla, and she is greeted by Heimdall, uh, Heimdall who is uh, obviously played by Idris Elba in a very bad wig. Oh yeah, I felt like the scene was unnecessary. I thought it was sweet, but I don't. I didn't think it was. I thought it was perfectly well implied that she was going to Valhalla without that scene. Yeah, it, it was That's implied. Just I don't know if a lot of people, a lot of people probably needed to see it though. Yeah, I think I think it it worked because you know, I mean, we know that you know if you die because he said it to Sif, uh, you didn't die in battle, so you're not going to Valhalla. So I mean, she died in battle. Hold on, wait. Okay, I had that exact thought. No, <laughs> no, it's not that. It's it's, yeah. it's it's no, it's not that. Did Odin go to Valhalla? Because he also turned into gold dust. Not that's not a pun on the wrestler, but He's I'm just all father. I think I he know. gets a pass. He gets a hall pass. Yes. Well, so I, I turned to my wife and I was like, wait, so if you die after the battle, you don't go to Valhalla. 
Valhalla because that's what Thor tells Sif. So why yeah. does Jane get to go to Valhalla? But she was like, I think Thor was lying to Sif so that she would stop just laying there trying to die. And I was like, that is the funniest, best explanation. Well, no, because I, I think they also, um, I think Valkyrie also said something to to that effect in Ragnarok when she was giving the backstory on, you know, all of her fallen sisters dying. Mm-hmm. I, I would have to go back. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, but within the confines of this uh, specific movie, it sounded like they could have accidentally opened up that plot hole. Yeah. And again, it would have been a throwaway line to fix it. So I'm just, I'm just going to assume he was like lying to Sif. So he's like, uh, no, you have to die in battle. So we're going to have to save your life. Sorry. <laughs> Speaking of, I was really happy she showed up. Yeah, it was good yeah. to see Jamie Alexander yeah. again. But even if she right was now. only in for like a scene and a half, like, yeah, I was happy that she was alive and confirmed to be alive. I'm just mad they just didn't give her like some type of robotic arm or something. She's teaching the kids to fight with one arm. I know. One what kind of universe is this? Like, I mean, if Bucky can get a cybernetic vibranium arm, I'm pretty sure, you know. If Nebula can just be a cyborg, basically. Like, yeah. Come on, guys. But, you know, that might be something to do with some of the deleted scenes because um, they said that Peter Dinklage, Lena Hetty, Someone else I can't remember all shot scenes for this movie that ended up on the cutting room floor. floor so the entire Game of Thrones cast got it. Just kidding. <laughs> Pretty much. I don't know. They didn't. They didn't say who she who she was going to play. That makes me so sad because I I really love her. See, I love dropping bombs like this on Samir <laughs> because <laughs> I, I I I do a crap ton of research on pretty much almost every movie we, we see. So I can bring up Easter eggs. Like, here's a, here's another one. So remember Cork um, got a new body and he got a boyfriend named Dwayne. I saw a tweet um, before I saw the movie. So I, I knew it was a joke, but I didn't know what kind of joke. And it was like- Samir, did you get the joke? Oh, no, it was making fun of people who are, like, overly sensitive, but the jo- the tweet was basically, like, can't believe they included that explicit gay sex scene in Thor 4, totally unnecessary. Like, it was clearly meant to be sarcastic, but then I was like, what do they mean? And then um, Korg and his boyfriend, like, do the hand clasp over the molten lava, and I was like, oh, <laughs> you just whole ass making That's a baby double. there. <laughs> So I was I was cackling. I thought that was funny. But Samir, did you get the joke why his boyfriend's name was Dwayne? The Rock. Yes, there you go. The Rock. <laughs> but, Amazing. But but oh, it was Jeff Goldblum who else was supposed to um, reprise his role. Oh, I guess maybe he was he was supposed to be in Unlimited City. I'm not really. I, I'm I'm kind of glad he's not there. I like Jeff Goldblum. He's great. I just didn't like his portrayal of that character. In costume, the character his his acting was fine. I just he, don't uh, like human looking characters uh, across all go. these crazy um, planes of existence. Can we get more fantastical looking characters? Just saying. You didn't say nothing about Gore supposed to uh, supposed um, Gore not looking like you know Voldemort. He looked strange coming out. Of he looked like a knockoff of- Kratos. Probably look. He he looked weird he enough. He really did. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Carry on. That was good. <laughs> look. All right. But yeah, he's part of the problem too. They could have made him look more fantastical. All I'm saying, 
I'm just tired of humans and Terran like folks across the entire cosmos in the MCU. I guess, man. Just but saying. You, I'm glad you, you I'm st- glad Jeff Copeland didn't show up again. You say the same thing about Star Wars, but I mean, what are you gonna do? I do so, yeah, I think we need more alien main characters. That is true. Yes. All right. You, okay, actually, yeah, you've been watching a lot of Star Wars content. What do you think about the slanted, uh, the slant into diversity in terms of alien characters versus human characters in Star Wars? Okay, to be more specific, he really means humanoid. So he doesn't want characters. No, they can be humanoid, just not I... human. Humanoid just means human shaped. So two phalan- two arms, legs, phalanges. You were complaining about that like three weeks ago when we were talking about Ahsoka's getting the series. You said, no, I want someone who's green, has tentacles, and blah, 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 blah. Right, yeah, and Ahsoka's a good start, but I want more. That's all I'm saying. So my real opinion on Disney's lack of alien diversity is that this is a product of them refusing to pay their makeup artists and prosthetic people, and so they CGI everything that they can, and so they like constantly like keep as low a budget on that as they can. Uh, that's a true fact because they don't want to use pe- workers who are unionized, like makeup and prosthetic artists. Oh. So that's why a lot of people's hair is like CGI instead of done in these sort of things. So that's actually my real opinion is Disney being cheapskate, cheapskates oh, that they're not and- utilizing these better concepts. See, now you just keep my hate. So thank you. Yeah. So there you go. You're you're entitled to be bitter because it's not the creator's fault it's what disney's willing to fund oh lord yeah. now we're gonna have a bitter samir every time we talk about something marvel release it, well yeah oh also okay do so, it in marvel too so I'm we're, we're gonna a, save that we're gonna save that i already know where you're going but we're gonna save that i am also a reddit addict and someone brought up this um article about how marvel or disney in particular with marvel the mcu is just a worst company to work for when you're doing special effects because of- i literally just said we were going to save that but thanks we are, oh. continue continue go ahead you already let the genie out the bottle ah pun intended so yeah basically uh yeah they're just really bad to work for with with uh time constraints and and oversight and things like that they just they're just awful apparently yep. i didn't know this so, well yeah, this just came out well, I mean, I was, I mean, like I said, I just, it was news to me. I was, that's all I'm saying. It's pretty much news to everybody. And I think that was when, you know, everyone started complaining about the CG not being up to par the way it was before 2016. It might be news, but is it a surprise? It's not. No. All right. Are we going to give it a, a, a number grade for this movie or are we just going to move on to something else? Well, um, no, I, I, I got one. Well, yeah, we're going to grade this movie. Then I'm going to ask like you guys like uh, one question. And I think after that, we can call it a wrap or so. Unless you wanted to time in on it. Did you have any predictions for the Emmys? Are you going to watch the Emmys? Oh, me? Yeah. SC Simple. Yes. Oh. I'm sorry. I got to start using it. No, you're name. good. Yeah. No, you're good. Huh. I have no predictions. I've not I think really Disney's going to sweep everything. Well, I don't think it is, that actually. I, like, I actually like that at least Netflix and all of like the straight-to-video stuff is at least getting the chances to... Like, so I'm rooting for stuff. Arcane. I know there was like, controversial over that. Controversy over that. I don't know why. It's TV. I, TV I is TV. It's oh, just because it's not of- linear network television anymore. A lot it's of still TV and directors are kind of salty about this. Yeah, well, um, they're assholes who need to wake up because no one literally watches TV, TV anymore. TV. Oh, yeah, nobody watches it in the normal way. Yeah, Bernard, no one watches it anymore. 
okay, look, I like to watch shows. <laughs> Even if I'm, I don't watch in the real time, okay. Think, he's been I shaming. Just, let me let me let me tell her the backstory. So he's been shaming me for watching TV, like literally network TV. Why do I watch network TV? I like to give my shows to view so they can get renewed. Because Samir is the type of person who will say, "Oh, I'll just wait for the show to hit Netflix and be like, oh, why did it get canceled? I wanted to give that a shot." That is not the entire truth. All right. What well, what did I leave out? Well, I'm gonna be. I'm going to be an asshole and say that that's the same mentality with people who don't want to read book series. So they're done. Yeah. Wow. And, and Samir also complains about the length of a TV show, but keep in I mind, just, I've also recommended TV shows to him that are 13 episodes, 16 episodes. I'm not saying you got to watch the flash from November to May. You could watch star girl that airs in the summer, Superman and Lois. The, okay. First off, the Valenti versus dead. All right. No one wants to watch the, <laughs> the Blantyverse anymore. The CW, DC shows are all dead, all right? I'm sorry. Look, as they long have, as like, the, two left, all right? Look, There's two left. Three. That's, it used to be, like, six. Now it's, like, two left. Eh, I don't know what to tell you. Those three will probably move to HBO Max. Who knows? Who knows, indeed. All right, what, what were you going to uh, do about the... We're, we're grading it? What are we doing now? Yeah, Um. so what do you want to do? Letter or scale to 10? Scale to, we always do scale to 10. Okay, I'm just... Sometimes people want to change things. It's called writing, Samir. Letters aren't accurate. Really? Because a lot of people gave this movie an F. Well, I, yeah, but okay, F, what is that in, in number terms? Because I would think, okay, are you a 5.5? Are you a 6.5? That, that would be like a 2 in grade... Because fifty percent out of a of a, a scale of one hundred is is F, you know. I so. vote we keep with whole numbers. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Samir is a guy who he'll, he'll literally throw I out will, you know I a seven point two. I'm like, I what do you? Forego that, I will forego that that habit for now. Oh, you're foregoing it now. Yes, I wonder how I, long that's going to last. I want to be a, a gracious host and go with the uh, <laughs> with our guest. No, oh, excellent. We should have you on more often because <laughs> trying okay. to get him. Trying to get him to do stuff is like pulling teeth. I'm sorry uh, that the hero worship has that effect on you. <laughs> All right. So SD, since you are our guest, uh, we'll let you go first. On a, on a scale of one to 10, what would you grade this? And if it's you know, not up to par, why? So I'm going to give this an affection. I'm going to say that this is affectionate because, again, I walked out of the theater feeling good, but I'm going to give it a six. Okay. And, and 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 why that decision oh the tonal dissonance really really got to me um in a couple of scenes that i feel like undercut some of the dramatic arc on the flip side i really liked how it began and i really liked how it ended and it I was just the middle that got just you. a lot of parts in the middle felt really muddy i don't think that they set up the rekindling of the romance well like we we talked about that um but i do think that like i thought tessa thompson really got to shine in this movie i did like overall how they approached the mighty thor elements um i liked seeing more of how like new asgard was integrating into the world i thought that was really charming i would love to go um, there for a uh, summer yeah. trip but there were just a couple too many moments where i was like suspending disbelief a little too much or kind of like cringing at the inclusion of humor and some of the more dramatic moments and i love comedy okay i love comedy if you you know you've read my books you know that I employ a lot of comedy amid my horror um but again I also really liked it so even though it's a six I'd watch it again and I'd have a good time 
Okay. Samir. Okay, so I want to not use a whole number, but... <laughs> um, of course I'm, you don't. I, I'm going to have to say a seven, but for okay. pretty much all the same reasons you said, except, I mean, one of my biggest notes is I really didn't like the the change to, to the Mighty Thor's origin. I don't know why they had to give the spell. It, it, they honestly could have just left it up to interpretation that she's just worthy. It didn't need anything else on there. It just, they, they, they again, going back to chiming on what you said, the lack of, con, um, of, of backstory to their relationship needed that boost that he cared so much about her that he put a spell on the hammer. It's like, because again, it was, it was anemic, essentially. Yeah, but you also have to remember Odin put the original spell, whoever holds this hammer shall he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor in the I first think that's film. just semantics, though. I didn't think it was I, necessary. Isn't the wording they? Should they be worthy? Nope, Actually, it's he. You sure? Yes, because that's why Frigga changed it to she. All right, all right. I could have sworn the MCU version was they, but okay. Nope, he said he'd be worthy. All right, fine. Point is, I I, I, I still think they, they shouldn't have taken away her agency, just saying. Because now, because hypothetically, uh, when Frigga changed the spell, it was she. How many women are on the planet? Seriously, out of all, all the women, she's worthy. That's still huge. As opposed to, oh, no, protect this one lady because she's my, my special lady. He was drunk. You keep forgetting uh, that. Uh, it doesn't make it better. In fact, it makes it I worse. do think it removed some of the agency. I agree. They could have just left it how it was worded. It was totally fine. Like, yeah, semantics, he, she, they, whatever. But her being worthy was the more important part. Yes, I agree. Now she's not worthy. She is loved. And that is kind of patronizing. Yes. And they they could have still used the, the love theme without that part. Like it worked totally fine. Yeah. Additionally, also the, the tonal dissonance um, and, you know, how it was uneven. I'm not going to chime on that because you pretty much, you know, said it so eloquently. And um, yeah, that's pretty much my, my huge gripe. Uh, you know, the- actually, my other issue with that exact thing is, okay, so she is where in there's one universe where she's worthy that's comics but in the movie universe they're like oh the hammer is protecting her thor put this thing on it and then plot twist the hammer is killing her so well, that's, that's also how it is in the uh comic yeah. but that's oh, doozy. Yes. oh yes but being being worthy and making this sacrifice on your own accord versus thor accidentally killed her yeah, like, he that's, smothered that's an her with his love it. But he's like, oh. Hey, I don't like how y'all trying to throw this on, like, on, on Thor. I'm like, not, he didn't. Oh, no, I'm writing. not throwing this on Thor. I'm throwing this onto the movie logic. Like, no, Thor had no I know. Yeah, I mean, he didn't, at all. he didn't. I just know. think it's a bad take that Thor's like, protect her. And then we find out later, oh, the hammer's killing her. Like, what? That doesn't make it doesn't make sense. It doesn't well, align the, well. The same, well, I can say this literally followed the plot from the comic it the right, exact but, same but thing happened oh no and i'm completely guy. fine with the hammer killing her i'm not fine with thor being like hey hammer protect her versus if she were just worthy to wield it it'd be fine yeah if it's killing her versus thor being like protect her but oh just kidding like clearly the hammer's not protecting her so oh, that's actually that, what the problem yeah is. there you go so it's, yeah it's a leap of logic again i'd say Constantly. it's a catch-22 situation no, the Catch 22 was more eloquent and intelligent in the comic as opposed to yes. just, this is just dumb writing. Yes, I was fine with the comics because then it was more of like a knowing sacrifice. 
Yeah, but versus again, Thor saying protect her. Clearly, it's not yeah. Clearly, he pretty much put his coat over the puddle so she can walk over it. Essentially, yeah. it just you know, it's twenty twenty two. Why does she need the coat there? He didn't know he was killing her. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We got to give him the benefit of the doubt because we, he didn't. Oh, I'm oh, not, like I said, not blaming her. That's kind of a Greek tragedy sort of irony. Right. The himbo but aside, I love. Thor. I didn't like that from a story standpoint. I didn't think that made sense. And they could have easily just kept it, oh, she's worthy. And then everything would have made perfect sense, including the hammer slowly killing her. Yeah, but how would they have changed the in, the inscription on the hammer? Is that's that's the whole point. Need, like I said, that's just that's just semantics. Like, oh that's just pro, like it doesn't matter. In my opinion. All right. Um I'm giving it a nine. Out of 10. Oh, sweet. Uh, Good for you. The, <laughs> the reason I'm giving it a nine is primarily because of the pacing issues, but the reason I'm also grading it so high is because they took a lot of elements from the comic and literally put it in there frame by frame. Like when when the god who, um, the big god, I can't remember his name, uh, where they found Sip, that was literally a panel ripped directly from the comics. And there are a lot of instances of that um one of the main reasons i give it a nine is just christian bale like when he's when he's like scaring the kids and he's like holding his lips while his teeth are still moving superb like I'm, so I'm, I'm i'm not christian bale <clears throat> is five of the points out of six i'm honestly. wow i'm not the biggest christian bale fan because hated the dark knight trilogy despite the fact that i own it that hurts me. That hurts my teenage self. Carry on. <laughs> well, me and Samir have said this as well. We liked it when we were younger, but you know, we've well, been reading. We like it. I just have a lot of. I have a lot of notes. I have Can I finish? Why do you always gotta cut me off? Don't cut you off. I'm tacking on what you say. I wasn't you. done. You tack on when I'm done. So, so we we liked it in the early 2000s, but you know, as we get along, reading comics and whatnot, we realize. These movies kind of suck, and the Joker is basically another Batman villain. But they decide to just make him the Joker in the Dark Knight, and that's no disrespect to Heath Ledger. That's why I'm kind of not a fan of Christopher Nolan as well. But I get slandered for that as well. I'm talking on behalf of like my, my 15, 16 year old self, however old I was when the movies came out, just to give you an existential crisis again. Um, so no, I, I'm sure if I rewatch, I know the Dark Knight Rises was. Eh. If I rewatch them, I'd probably have way more critiques, but I haven't seen them in. Eh, Actually, okay, I want to bend your and ear. Maybe about I this. shouldn't. Oh, sure. So, okay, so here's a, so here's a, here's a, my, what's my particular gripe with with with, with uh, some of the more recent Batman films. Here we go. Uh, Twenty more minutes of, of content, people. <laughs> okay, mate. We will the mirror, go. Okay, so anyways, the Dark Knight trilogy, and then the new one. With Matt Reeves' Batman, have you seen that by the way? Matt Reeves' Batman with a uh, Robin Pattinson and uh, Andy Serkis. Oh and, yeah, uh, the Batman. Yeah, okay. I saw the Batman. So, so, so you get what I'm saying. Oh, also, have you seen the Joker? Joker. I have seen Joker. Yes. Okay, great. So we you, you're pretty much front and center for this right now. So the issue I have with modern Batman films is they took all the fantasy out of it. I don't know why they're striving for realism when when this is a man that has a Martian on speed dial whose close friend is a space cop and whose 
who brother in arm is a is a alien from an extinct race from another planet that crashed. There's so much fantasy about the Batman, the man. His city is filled with with mutant men bat hybrids. There's a clay thing in the in the sewers next to another zombie thing in the sewers, next to a crocodile man in the sewers. There's a lot going on in the sewers in Gotham City. And no, let's just make it super realistic and that can actually exist in our world. And it, it strips it of all its soul, in my opinion. Now, the performances are amazing. The, the set design, amazing. The score, amazing. It, it's, it's Oscar bait, but it just doesn't have soul to me in terms of other combo properties. What's your stake on that? Let me say first, I really enjoyed the Batman. Um, for what so it was. I. I think that this is the first time I've ever watched a Batman film and said, you know what? I'd be surprised if this man didn't dress like a bat every night. Like, <laughs> I thought that the Bruce Wayne Batman relationship was really well balanced in this one. But um, no, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, and I wonder if this is a precedent that was set back because of Batman Begins because all the Batman movies before that had had very much a whimsical aura about yeah them. I like, think right? it's I, I think it's actually called like, the Schumacher the curse ones. yeah like they became very serious starting in the Batman Begins and that one was really well received and really popular this was also kind of maybe I'll be wrong and have to take this back I feel like though superhero movies weren't given as much respect back then and Batman Begins was kind of the beginning of people going oh maybe we can mainstream this because the Dark Knight is not really a superhero movie it's a crime drama movie that happens to have Batman that in is it. true yes that so is true. from a superhero movie standpoint which absolutely just by nature has elements of fantasy in it like urban fantasy no they're not really fantastical at all in that regard which i agree is very silly because at the end of the day this is a man dressing up as a bat to go fight crime why and so no i can totally understand um not liking that disconnect between the movies and their origins at this point and i know some like i can't speak for the current modern modern batman comics because i'm not caught up but i know that during like the Dark Knight era of movies, a lot of the comics were reflecting that tone. You had a lot more of like the gritty realism going on. Yeah, no, um, it's not like that anymore. We, we got Killer Croc back. Yeah, I also think that Disney, not Disney, um, DC. Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, yeah. But like the DC superheroes in general, they're trying to go for like a darker, grittier tone. And with cases like Aquaman, they're kind of forced to still keep with the fantastical elements, but... I feel like there's they still err on the side of uh, trying to keep it maybe too real. Right, but although you... that's also not entirely fair because like Ben Affleck Batman was pretty steeped in fantasy by those um, by that criteria, so he might be the statistical outlier. Right. Also, you would be almost an expert on this. Um, at least your opinion is very well educated because okay. you write very serious and fa fantasy, and it's dark. So. I think it's a place for grit and fantasy in one. Absolutely. In one page. I and think the fact that they can't though, you just have to remember. I, I was told something long, long, long time ago that really stuck with me. I think my dad told me. And it's that trying to verbally explain the plot of a fantasy novel, like if you try to do that, it will always sound bad. But if it doesn't, it means the story is actually boring. Like, 
when you're mm. explaining these fantastical concepts, they're going to sound ludicrous, but then you see them, you read them, you like experience them and they feel so real. But that is something you have to keep in mind is that what you're doing is inherently ridiculous. Okay. Even beyond the purposeful comedy. Cause like looking at my own work, I have a character who uses her inner planner, inner planner traveling abilities, like the ability to use portals and stuff to keep a stash of booze, okay? That is funny and it's purposefully kept funny. But at the same time, you look at her other sources of power, like there's an inherent sense of humor with duplicating yourself with each, you know, all 15 versions of you wielding a different weapon to go fight a god. That's actually very funny if you look at it from an outside standpoint. But when you're in the moment, you're like, oh, that's that could be pretty cool, you know? It's it's kind of funny when you are transforming into a giant monster that could so easily be played for comedy, transforming into a giant monster to fight a bigger monster. So easily played for comedy. But instead, when you're witnessing it in the moment, it's pretty fucking cool, at least in theory. Um, but I... Well, that's why tone is so different. Yeah, trying to to pretend that it's not, though, is when you're going to start losing some of that magic. Like, if I tried to be like, this is so serious and this is so cool, you would end up with a very desaturated fantasy. And I wonder if in the pursuit of appealing to the masses and trying to make it not sound ridiculous as a concept, that Batman has lost its charm in visual media. Well, okay, so that's my issue with the Joker. Uh, now, granted, the film is wildly uh, acclaimed and it's a great film, but I just have so many notes about it. It's like, if I just think, okay, this is about a man who's having a really bad day and the, the film is a commentary on uh, classism and the downtrodden and how people view mental illness, all this stuff, all this great stuff to talk about in the film, but the idea that you use the Joker to do it I can argue all day as to why that might not have been the best thing for that character. Storytelling wise, I guess your movie's good, but what did you do to the character in the process? You know, it, mm-hmm. and, and and now, okay, here's the problem. So you have this man who is who's mentally ill who goes on a crime spree um, in in late '80s or mid '80s uh, New York, right? And then he gets captured. He's arrested at the end of the movie, right? So there's a sequel. How are you conceivably going to let this man who can't plan himself I have a white paper bag, okay, out of this uh, mental institution, which I'm assuming has security, I'm assuming has guards, all right? I mean, I don't, I, I can't buy this sequel now that you've done it. I can possibly watch and enjoy this film a second or third time. I cannot enjoy the sequel. Also, on top of it, it's a musical. So the tone shift, apparently, is going to be just off the walls in, this, in the sequel. I don't know what they're doing, exactly. Yeah, I like so, Spike Jones, but I'm good. Right. Did so they announce the sequel to the Joker. To Joker. Yeah, uh, they're trying to get oh, Lady Gaga to play know. Harley Quinn. Oh, I hate that. I hate everything about it. Right. Okay. That's okay. So yeah, you agree. Yeah, it's like they have Harley Quinn now, and like you, you, you can't do no. that. You can't. Also, Margot Robbie is the only one who can play it anymore. She did such a good job. Thank you. Oh, oh, oh Lady Gaga it. is on is on being tapped for the role. Actually, I hate that. I don't. Ah. The problem with that movie getting a sequel is kind of related to what is, in my opinion, the core problem with that movie to begin with, which is I feel like it did, I mean, let's let's remove the comic book Joker element for a minute because I do agree, I don't think this was the best character for this role. It felt oddly un, 
felt oddly it felt very unnecessary you could have just made up a character and had it be an interesting character study so let's remove that that's not part of the argument i feel like truly deeply they did such a good job at setting up all of these different elements um but i don't feel like there ended up being a point there it didn't go anywhere and i think a sequel will ironically only make that worse I agree. because you bring up the good point like when we were discussing removing the elements of fantasy like yeah how is he going to get out without this i wouldn't call joker a fun movie but once you start introducing those level of hijinks you're gonna you know risk tonal dissonance when you're trying to go for this really serious dramatic thing because like i said earlier the concept of a man dressing up to fight as a bat to go fight crime that's funny and we shouldn't pretend that it's not okay and the joker who in his conception is a man who dresses up as a clown to go kills people with guns that you shoot and then they just say bang and they don't always shoot that's funny that's funny as hell and I don't know how they would pull off a sequel without having to introduce that kind of humor. And then it would not really stand as a sequel to the first one at all. I hope that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And that's exactly okay. what I was trying to get at. I really don't want that sequel to happen. That sounds not like a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully it doesn't, but you know. If anything could happen. Yeah. All right. So the question I wanted to ask you guys before we wrap up, I actually saw this trending on Twitter. It said, uh, please rank these phase four villains, Green Goblin, the Mandarin, Scarlet Witch, and Gore. So I guess we can just do a one through four. (laughs) Okay. Well, the Mandarin is on the bottom because all three of them are going to duke it out. Mandarin is, I, mean, I assume we're going off of movie, right? Yes. Yeah, he was fine. Are we referring to the fake one or the real one, quote unquote? The real one, not Ben Kingsley. Okay, because Ben Kingsley was quite funny. Uh, well, still, he gets number four in my book. Okay. Oh, but that's, now we're going to get into difficult territory because I love the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. Those movies legit, influenced my like perception of media when I saw them in the theater as a child like they were like uh, X-Men had already come out but I hadn't seen them in theaters I hadn't experienced them the same way but Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films were like I think the first superhero movies I saw in theater and they affected me I loved them and I love Green Goblin okay I have like this weird non-sexual obsession with William Defoe. Like, that's the only way to explain it. Like, I want to, like, watch his face. Everything he, he does is so face. fascinating to me. Like, the way he moves and the way his facial expressions work. I love William Defoe. I think he's an amazing actor. Um, and so I'm really biased towards his Green Goblin, okay? Like, when you said Green Goblin first, I'm like, oh, well, that's number one. And then you went and named other really good ones because, man... Gore was so good, and Christian Bale was carried the movie That's the issue. on his back. Oh, there's nothing. Well, they were just going off villains strictly. I'm not yeah. judging. And then it's like, oh, but Wanda's villainous arc 
really, really struck a chord with me. So at the same time, but then I'm letting like my personal biases start. No, to no, that's the point. Them. You're supposed to let your personal that's biases. Fair. I think it's almost impossible not to do that anyways. If I were going strictly like as far as how I think they were written, I think Gore is number one, Scarlet Witch is number two, Green Goblin's number three, and Mandarin. Mandarin's in the last. <laughs> oh, right. yeah. He does it. Who cares? Nobody remembers him. Damn. <laughs> yes, offense at Iron Man 3. Nobody cares. <laughs> all right. So, that movie is all offense. Okay. So, um, <laughs> hey, you aren't going to slander Iron Man 3. That dealt with Tony dealing with his demons and his PTSD. Okay. okay so, mental PTSD health is important. Here, here's the so thing. Here's the thing. So, that I, was so well done. I, the same problem I have with. Iron Man 3, I kind of have with the Joker. So when you talk about mental illness, they did a great job with PTSD in that movie, how he dealt with it, his trauma, his his re- resolution of that. But you, but the but the portrayal, the accurate portrayal of post-traumatic stress um, disorder was at the expense of the character Tony Stark slash Iron Man. Because you have this man who built this, a, a suit of armor out of, you know, with all his tech that took the god of thunders hammer to the face and then you spent the entire movie seeing him hijinks it up with his body with with poorly made um of suits so was it his ptsd doing it were the, were the guys he's fighting just really good i don't know i'm getting off subject here but that's yes you are i don't like iron fan three is because the power levels were all over the place though so you're gonna tell me that he can get struck by thor's lightning but it it, it gets but his armor gets carved up like like turkey every time these guys come at him. No, nah. I think the core of his PTSD was witnessing like. Oh no, PTSD was great. That was great. I'm gonna. Okay, okay. I that. thought you were saying. No, like, he he he, he doesn't have an issue with the PTSD. He just slandered okay. everything else about the movie. Ah, uh, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair and valid. Okay. No, the movie wasn't great. It was better than the second one, but I just barely remember it. Okay, well, anyway, I digress. Um, so if I were to grade them, um, it would be somewhat similar to yours, except, okay, so Wanda's arc would have been good if they cooked it a little longer. So she, in fact, might be, uh, she, okay, she's definitely not the man, the man threat, he's, he's, he's loved because unfortunately, I like his, I like the actor's portrayal of him. I like the entire movie. I love Shang-Chi. But yeah, he's four. He's lowest. I'm sorry. I, I want to give him higher, but I can't uh, in, in good conscience. Um, if I may help you potentially, is it possible part of the problem with like Wanda versus say Gore is that Gore was in one movie and so he had one chance to get his perfect arc and they pulled it off versus Wanda has been in so many different movies at this point that um, they had more chances to mess it up. Is that possible? Possibly. Well, okay, so I don't think they even messed her character up. I just think she's undercooked. I think if she had one more outing as the Scarlet Witch, it would have twisted her into what we saw in. So you wanted to see her, her, her basically break. She can't. Okay, so she can't. Okay, uh, how much do you of of on the vision she watched? You watched the whole thing, right? As December. Um, I watched most of it, but I know how it ends. Okay, so she came to conclusion. She went through all her stages of grief. She got some resolution. She looked like she was on the path to recovery. To, now, mind you, recovery is not a one-way street. There's times you fall off the wagon, things like that. It's very nuanced. It's hard. So I would have liked to see her fall off the wagon as opposed to having it happening off screen. 
I agree. I can see that having been done better. Totally. So with that being said, she's well, there, there, there may very well be a deleted scene and that doesn't count. It didn't happen. It was deleted scene. Samir, Samir, don't blame the director. You have to blame Marvel because now they're putting run times on these directors. Like literally they gave Taika Waititi a two hour run time. You know what the run time for Thor is? Less than two hours. An hour and 59 minutes. It's really short. Look, look, look. Okay, I, I don't care whose fault it is. Just someone did something wrong. I don't care. All right. It's, it's deleted. You know what deleted means, Bernard? It's not there anymore. So if it's deleted, it doesn't matter. I digress. Okay. She, unfortunately, is going to be three. Um, And then, yeah, I guess it's going to be Gore number two. And then uh, uh, Willem Dafoe's, uh, Willem Dafoe's uh, Green Goblin. Same here. Cut and my younger self. Same here. And, do you, and the reason why I'm giving him number one, he actually killed someone who we were near and dear with. Wanda oh, didn't. Wanda killed a bunch of nobodies. Sorry. Never mind. I approve of Green Goblin being number one. I yeah. misunderstood your order. <laughs> yeah, he killed Aunt May. So someone who we got to see for what? Six movies? Civil War, three Spider-Man movies, and Endgame. Four movies. Nope, five movies. I yeah. would argue part of his appeal in that regard is he personally fucks with the heroes in deeply personal ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You so Thor is out here. I'm going to kill all the gods. And Green Goblin's like, I just blew up your aunt. Yeah. There is a difference in how that's going to emotionally resonate with both the audience and the heroes themselves. Those yeah. The, the duality of Norman Osborn and the Green Goblin has always been like a fascination of mine. Yes. I actually loaned okay. Samira a comic a few years ago. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's called uh, Marvel Knight Spider-Man. Okay. It's, it's three volumes. It's written by Mark Miller, the guy who wrote Civil War, and it's drawn by Terry Dodson. So basically, I'm, I'm going to give you more or less the general plot without spoiling it. Aunt May is kidnapped, and Peter has to figure out who, who did it. And the Green Goblin plays a big part in that, but towards the end... You're just like, wow. You you know what I'm talking about, right, Samir? Don't I say do. it was yeah. jacked up. It was so jacked up. Excellent. Well, I'll check that out then. Yeah. And keep in mind, the Green Goblin in the comics is not the same way he is, obviously, in the movies where you know it's like a, an alternate personality. It's like he knows what he's oh, doing. Yeah. But yeah. So it's just like when you when you read that last page, you are literally gonna drop your jaw and just be like, what the fuck did I just read? What was that? You're going to be mad, confused, upset, and shocked all at once. Listen, sometimes that's the point of media is to make yes. you feel things, even if those things are uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. Again, I'm going to have to reference your work for that. Oh, yes. It's not a comfortable story. But without spoiling it, the horror, the depths of horror had to match the height of catharsis that follows. In order for a particular character to learn a damn lesson, we had to put that character at their absolute lowest. Yeah, I always say the the best stories are where the characters are broken and they have to basically rise back up. That's what I swear. That's the reason I love Spider Man because no matter how much Peter Parker falls, he always gets back up. I so would argue. Don't, uh, are you going to argue about him being rich and losing it all? And no, did, and that's not, getting, not it. That's okay. not it. Exactly. It's more eloquent than that. Okay. Unfortunately, there's you also have to worry about pacing in those regards because if your journey's too long, the audience may lose uh, interest. Like, for instance, Bojack Horseman. People love Bojack Horseman. I that will, show still come on? 
No, it ended. But okay, I, I will gonna... definitely say that that show's amazing. However, if you're not really into deconstructing someone's mental illness and watching them fall off the wagon several times, if not more, you're going to get a little bored with it. You're going to be like, why can't you get your shit together? And I know it's, it's, that's harsh to say because it's, again, recovery and, and figuring out your, your personality disorders is very hard to do. And recovery is not a two-way, not a one-way street. But to watch it on screen through a series that's, you know, five seasons long, it's hard to, it may be hard for some people to stay on, 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 on the ride. Well, it's, 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 it's obviously hard for, you know, television and film. Like, so I'm going to talk about the Spider-Man. Okay. So his, his inability to get his, he's nothing, there's something inherently wrong with Peter other than his martyrdom. All right. Cause he has to be the guy to fall on the sword and you get tired of this perfectly nice guy who loses all the time falling on the sword because he has to volunteer every time. It's a little annoying. Dude, just take care of yourself. Fix your life before you try to fix your, fix the world. Just a little bit. Just one time. I think that's just one of the failings. Not like in a mean way, but that's one of the common risks in comic books in general is that you're recycling these characters over and over and so over. So that is true. And so I remember I remember when like the new 52 Batwoman came out and people really loved the first three volumes and then they break Batwoman up with her girlfriend. And Marvel, not no, sorry, DC. DC, oh, DC was like, well, we can't have superheroes stay happy. They become oh, less God, why'd you do that? And you shouldn't so, have brought that up. You should not have brought that up. Oh, I'm very tempted sorry. to drop my headphones and walk away. Here's the thing. So I have, I, have, I, can be, I can write a dissertation on what you just said there. Uh, so, shit, here we go. What they did was right. I was really <laughs> mad, but it's go, go ahead, Samir. Go on another 20 so minute rant. My, my take on this, okay, is that you're, you're, you're 95% correct. I think characters who are brands and trademarks are very hard to break out of their loops. So Batman has to be broody and alone. Spider-Man has to be broke and alone. Um, <laughs> and Superman has to be with Lois and he has to represent truth. You know, he can't ever do anything else. He's, he's he was with Wonder people. Woman for a good two years. Oh yeah, that was a good run until they ruined it because he had to go to Lois. So- No, I mean, technically that version of Superman died. <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. Now, see, here's here's why I this is why I don't I often don't read lone wolves in solo books because I think team books are much more interesting because you get to see dynamics between characters. It's more fluid, and also when you have long running organizational teams like the Avengers or more specifically the X Men, within those constructs, the characters grow so well over the years. Magneto went from being a villain to a to a hero. And he's been a hero for quite some time. Well, no, he went he went to an anti-hero. Danny became a hero. Right. Magneto had to take a long journey to get where he is now. And it was it was fun watching it. He was actually changing, and it, and the changes seemed permanent. Oh wait, Whoa. I don't I don't like how you you always use the X Men as a point of reference. But because when X Men are the best, the top fiction. Okay. But when Eddie Brock does the same thing, you're like, no, screw screw Venom. I don't know where he's at right now. I, he's I dead. Say, he died good. saving his son. I hope he stays dead. I hate that character. <laughs> see? <laughs> you, you see what I deal with on a weekly basis? Amazing. All right. Anyways, I digress. I think characters who aren't... The, the X-Men themselves are a brand, but the characters within them can are able to grow. The Fantastic Four, the team is the brand. The characters themselves can grow through, you know, changes. I, I, I don't know. Johnny Storm... Weird. I don't know. He had a wife and he screwed that up. Yeah, well, Johnny, they need to fix Johnny. But I think Sue and, and Ben and Reed, to a lesser degree, are, are very interesting characters. 
because they they they're, they're different from when they were five years ago. So I think you're definitely right on that note where the characters get recycled. But I think teams are less fallible in that sense. All right. In the words of Vin Diesel, the Fantastic Four is in the team. They're it's family. a family. Marvel Trust family. I do want to say, just in case I'm misconstrued, I don't agree with what DC said. Um, I also find it very interesting. I find stories about couples who stay together to be more interesting than couples falling in love. Thank you. I totally agree. I stopped reading that. That's why the will, yeah, the perpetual will they or won't they of couples, especially in superhero stuff, is not as interesting to me as watching married people make it work. Yes, I totally agree, because I stopped reading Batman when they didn't go through with the wedding. And I thought that was egregious. I'm not saying- in, I think it was in a similar era as all of that, where DC's like, no, our heroes can't be happy, otherwise they don't pretty much. They won't yeah, be pretty much, yeah. heroes. And I'm like, um, well, that's silly. That's a silly thing to say, DC Comics. Yeah. Well, all right, guys. I think we are going to call it a wrap because we have been talking for almost two hours. Oh, never mind. We hit two hours and seven minutes. A very wordy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I told you we'd make it work. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't worried. All righty, guys. So this is Bernard. And this is Samir. And that was another episode of this the Angry Birds Oh, no, I was, I was going to give you a proper uh, farewell. Okay. After- no, I'm just going to go ahead. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. This is the Angry Birds Podcast. And our illustrious guest, S.T. Semper. But I thought it was good. Can you let me re- chime in with that? Is that why you left it open? No, I left it open so you could say your part. And I was going to say thank you once again for joining us and ask her where can people find her on social media and where can they get her books. But for some reason, Samir, you've been having a lot of brain farts lately. I am. I just got off work. All right. So there you go. Mm. Well, <laughs> once again, S.T. Semper, thank you for joining thank us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. No problem. Yeah, and and can you please once again tell everyone where they can follow you on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, everything. Absolutely, and I'm going to keep it easy. I'm just at SD Simper on every platform. All right, guys, you heard it. All right, so uh, that was the Angry Blurred Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend. Uh, Check out her books. You can get them on Amazon. I do believe they are part of the Kindle Unlimited plan, if yes, I'm sir. correct. Yeah, so if you have Kindle Unlimited, check out the Fallen God series. And uh, I cannot, I can always forget the, the name of the other. Um, oh, and the CSR series. Yes, thank you. Yeah. All right, so we are going to. I went to Mermaids, so different audience. I mean, you never know. Some people might like both. Oh, there's overlap, totally. Oh, yeah, but... totally. Some yeah. people don't want abusive monster relationships. They want mermaid romance. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So we will see you next week. Live long, prosper. And uh, you guys tell our audience goodbye. All right. Thanks so much for having me. Bye, everybody. All right. Live long and prosper. All righty.